to the Constructionist Podcast hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey and every week Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's word. The more I read the Bible, the more stunning it becomes. And lately, as we've been going through this series on Romans and Paul's understanding of the law and how Paul views the law, it's yet another thing that just makes you sit back in awe at how God has put together the scriptures. So let me start by saying we're going to be in Romans chapter 2. And Romans, of course, is a book that has been written for the Church of Rome that was going through a time period of interrelational challenges, put it that way. So there was a expelling of the Jews from Rome for a number of years. And of course, Jewish Christians would have to have been kicked out of Rome as well. And then when they all started coming back, it caused a bit of a tension because for five or six years, the church in Rome was made up of of non-Jews. And non-Jews don't have the background like Jews do of keeping the law. I would imagine if you're listening to this podcast right now, if you did not grow up in a Jewish family in a Jew, with a Jewish background, then you probably did not celebrate Passover on a yearly basis. You probably did not celebrate Hanukkah on a yearly basis. You probably did not visit synagogue and do the annual Torah portion readings and things like that like Jews would do. I'm sure that your brother didn't get bar mitzvahed and your sister wasn't bat mitzvahed. And all these things would not have happened to you because you did not grow up in a Jewish family. So if you're a Jew and you accept Jesus as your Messiah, you can carry on doing all those things, Passover and, and uh, the different Sabbath keeping and all that kind of stuff, eat kosher. All those things can still be done even when you are uh, living in Messiah, even when Jesus is the one who has brought fulfillment to the law he lives, he lives through you to keep obeying the law. No problem. That's perfectly fine. But for non-Jews, the book of Acts makes pretty clear that we are not required to have that put upon us because we are of a different classification when it comes to being under covenant. So we often talk about how Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he fulfilled the law. Well, that's true. When he was on trial among the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the high priest, they could find nothing against him according to the law. But it wasn't like they whipped out, uh, you know, Leviticus 12 or something and said, ha, he didn't keep these laws. Well, because he wasn't a female. You know, Leviticus 12 is about women and having babies and what kind of offering they're supposed to give. Jesus was not a priest. And so much of the Levitical law about how the processes of presenting offerings for the priest were not applicable to him because he wasn't a priest. So you see what that means. Jesus fulfilled the laws or the totality of the law according to the context of himself as a male Jew 
uh, a single male Jew. He kept that kind of law. He kept those laws that applied to him. Now, traditionally, uh, in Jewish studies, they say that there are 613 commandments in Torah. So if you take the 613 commandments in Torah, obviously the debate in the Gospels is, is the great, what's the greatest commandment? Well, everybody knows that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. They always say, Shema Yisrael, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So the first commandment is, uh, pay attention, Israel, hear who God is and then love him. That's the first commandment. The second commandment is debatable because now the second commandment is, do you love your neighbor or do you keep the Sabbath? And that's what keeps popping up in the gospels. Do you love your neighbor or do you love the Sabbath? Keep the Sabbath. So keeping the Sabbath in those days was about obeying a whole nother list of rules and regulations because the Mishnah tells us that the ancient fathers, the rabbinical fathers that were around in the days of Hillel, just before Jesus and Paul lived their lives, they would say that you have to put a fence around the Torah. And then later in, the, in Avot, in the Mishnah, it says that the traditions are the fence that goes around the Torah. So in Mark's gospel, talks about the traditions of the elders, that they wash cups and dishes and hands and things like that. That was true. They held these things as fence laws, they were called, that would keep them from disobeying Torah. If you kept the fence laws, you will not break the laws of Torah. So they were very firm about those things. And there was a huge number of fence laws that revolved around the day of Sabbath of Shabbat. And so that day you had to keep all these extra laws because that was the way you kept the Torah to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, Jesus comes along and he says, and others said with him as well, that the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now that is a much harder law to be keeping track of because it involves doing something outside yourself, not doing something inside yourself, if I can put it that way. When you're obeying Sabbath, you're in charge of the things you do or don't do on that day. But when you're loving your neighbor, it all depends on your neighbor and what his need is and how you can help him out and how you can show him the love that he needs at that moment. So it's a much more fluid, a much more prayerful, a much more um, sacrificial way of living, if I could put it that way. And your neighbor could pop up any second of the day, any time, regardless if it was Sabbath or not. It could happen to your neighbor. And your neighbor could be anybody, just like Jesus says. The neighbor relationship between two people in this the example he gave was a Samaritan and a Jew, and the Samaritans were treated as very, very lowly. So for our day and culture here, it would be, you know, a homeless guy or um, somebody that, that you consider lesser in your societal circles, you know. Those kind of people would be considered the ones that you have to be neighborly to. Show love to those who you would otherwise regard as, uh, you know, contemptible. Or something like that. There is nobody contemptible according to the New Testament teaching.
There are no little people, as Francis Schaeffer used to say back in the day, in God's sight. There are no little people. As a matter of fact, God uses the littlest people all through the Gospels to make the biggest statements about faith and obedience and things like this. So, when it comes to the law, we have to make judgment calls sometimes. Now, getting back into Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This is a very important verse for us today. Because today, in our Western society, it's very common for people to use this phrase of don't judge me. People don't want to be judged. They want to be left to live their life. But what Paul is saying here, using that phrase, oh man, he says, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. He's making this grand universal statement that all humans make judgments. Now, when I say make judgments, I don't mean in the sense of condemnation. What the Greek word there means, krino, is to have an opinion about something. Every human has an opinion about something. And so if you have a person that says, don't judge me, they are automatically making a judgment about themselves that they don't want you to judge against to them. You follow me? So let's say that, um, you know, you decide that uh, you want to only eat candy bars for the rest of your life. And everybody knows that if you only eat candy bars for the rest of your life, that you're going to have diabetic issues down the road. You're going to, your body's going to eventually shut down because you've got the bad food in it. I don't know if you ever saw that documentary, Super Size Me, where that guy ate nothing but McDonald's food for 30 days. And he had a doctor telling him after like 21 days that he needed to stop, otherwise he might die. You know, so if, if you stand there and say, no, I'm going to eat nothing but Snickers bars. <clears throat> and I like Snickers bars. It's my candy bar of choice. I'm going to eat nothing but Snickers bars for the next 60 days. And then someone else comes along and says, that's probably not a good idea. I think you're really going to harm yourself. And you respond with, don't judge me. Then you've already made a judgment about yourself. And now you're upset with somebody else having a judgment about you. Or I'll say it this way. You've already decided that in your opinion, you want to have Snickers bars every day for the rest of your life. You've already decided in your opinion that you want to, you know, live a certain lifestyle or have a certain way of looking at things or being a certain kind of person. And then someone who comes along and says the opposite or something different or suggests that maybe the way you have chosen to live your life is unhealthy for you. Now you're telling them to not judge, even though you've already made a judgment about yourself. You don't want them to judge you. And so you're calling them uh, a meanie for saying what they say, even though you're actually a meanie for refusing them to have their view on things and taking into consideration their view on what's going on. 
Does that make sense? So this is true of everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It, this is a generational thing between older generations and younger generations. This is a male-female thing between, you know, a, a, a male will think things a certain way and look at his wife or whatever, mother, girlfriend, and be like, I don't know why they're thinking like that. It's, like, it's a girl thing. You know, I've lived in multiple uh, cross-cultural environments where people will kind of roll their eyes in the south of England and go, yeah, those northerners up there. Or people will roll their eyes and be like, oh, yeah, those those people and, you know, from that culture, <laughs> that's just the way they are. You know? And so you end up with this kind of thing constantly. It doesn't matter where you are or who you are or what environment you're with. There's always going to be some other person that you have an opinion about. And you have an opinion about yourself. And you yourself, within your own opinion, is perfectly normal and rational. Why can't people see it my way? It makes perfect sense. I don't understand why they have an issue with the way I'm doing something. Think about it. Just ponder your own soul for a day. And you'll see that that is actually what happens. That everybody has an opinion, a judgment about something. When you wake up in the morning and choose the socks you want to wear, you're making a judgment call. It is your opinion. It is your uh, moment to pick or not pick a pair of socks. And then that just goes on all day long. You pick and not pick political parties. You pick and not pick food. You pick and not pick certain job opportunities. You pick and not pick certain friendships. You pick and not pick certain car colors, you pick and not pick certain websites you want to go on, Facebook, friends you want to have, apps you want to download, phones you like. It doesn't matter. Every single day you are exercising your freedom as a human to pick, to have an opinion, to make a judgment about something every moment of every day, all day, all the time. So Paul says here, therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who has an opinion, who judges, who picks something, who chooses something, who makes a decision about something, who comes to the conclusion about something. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So see what he's doing here. He's pointing out that everybody is actually a hypocrite to a degree. Everybody is obsessed with their own self-opinion, their own selfish view on something, and then they are getting mad at somebody else for basically exercising their freedom to choose as well, but they feel like they're being hard on done by in it. So this is Paul saying everybody is at fault. Absolutely everybody. Nobody can get away from this. Now he goes from there in Romans chapter 2, and then eventually he narrows things down to the Jews. And as he narrows things down to the Jews, he says, uh, Oh man, judge, practice such things. Yeah, da, da, da. Glory, honor for all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So he then blends his, his, his argumentation into this idea of the law, which is a judgment. <clears throat> so in the Old Testament, there's multiple words that are used to describe uh, the scriptures. Testimonies, uh, law, uh, judgment, precepts, statutes, 
those kind of things. If you read Psalm 119, those words pop up over and over and over again. Judgment, statutes, precepts, law, testimony. All of them have different shades of meaning. But we're talking here about the general idea of law as in like regulations and things like that. Now, these, these are judgments. Even in our everyday society, it doesn't matter what country you live in, there is a law of the land that you have to live by. And that law is a judgment made by lawmakers in that country with the hopefully intent of keeping you as an individual safe and protected and able to live freely to the best of your ability. That's really what laws are for. They're not constrictive things. They're supposed to be um, uh, freeing things when, when, when applied and put into the power in the right sort of way. It's supposed to be a freeing element. <coughs> it's to keep society safe and to keep society functioning in a healthy manner for the benefit of all. That's what laws are about. Now, obviously, there has to be some laws that are restrictive, uh, but the restrictive laws are there to make sure that uh, there isn't damage done to the whole society. So, you know, it's, in most countries, it's illegal to commit murder because murder is doing damage and harm to another person, and it destroys the fabric of society when there's a lot of murder going on, and then people start living in fear and, and, um, and unable to, like, to, to really be relaxed and, and enjoy their life because they never know when someone's going to come along and murder them. And so these kind of things are, that's a restrictive law to provide freedom for everybody. And so punishment has to be meted out quite quickly and things like that, or should be anyway. So law is a kind of, is a form of judgment call. It's a form of, um, in human law, it's a form of opinion. <laughs> now, when you come to God's law, that is the ultimate law and it is ultimate opinion. So there's stratas of these things, and we've talked about this before, that you've got what happens on a natural level is a reflective of what happens on a spiritual level. So just like uh, the husband, you are the steward of your own self. So you need to make your own decisions about your diet, about your health, about your mental state, about your occupation, about where you live, about your relationships with other people, things like this. You have jurisdiction over your inner life, yourself. Outside of that, if you're married, then uh, you have a co-relationship with another person. And so the two of you together, if you're having children, are responsible uh, for the household. And in, in, the, in the biblical idea, the husband is the head of the house because he is essentially the priest, the high priest of his own home, overseeing the spiritual welfare of everybody within it. And so then you move up to other layers of authority or other layers of human responsibility. So you get up into like governmental layers where you have county or district authority. And then above that, you've got state or provident, provincial authority. Or, and then above that, you've got uh, federal or you know, federal authority with, in America anyway, it's the Congress with the Senates and the House. But in other countries, it could be like MPs and things like that and, and Houses of Parliament in um, England and House of Lords. And then you move up again to another level where you have countries that actually come under the jurisdiction of a larger body like uh, the UN or NATO or uh, something to that effect. You know, there's different G8 summits and things like this that exist and different countries uh, come under the a certain amount of authority under these larger bodies. And then 
what do you have higher than that? Now, everything I've said to this point is all man operation, man-based. Uh, humans are elected or appointed to all these different positions, and then they have to somehow make these decisions to keep the world running, we hope, in a good way for the benefit of everybody. And so when this happens, uh, the highest possible authority is still just some guy or woman, depending. I mean, I don't know. There is no ultimate world authority at this point. Um, But uh, there is talk of maybe some of that kind of thing happening. There's certainly the biblical idea of an antichrist. Um, But we know that from the Bible that the ultimate authority is God himself. Jesus says that uh, there is no authority except for what's given by God. So he turns to Pontius Pilate and says, you only have the authority you have because God gave it to you. Paul comes along and says that all authority is put in place by God. And so as long as the authority, as long as the governmental authority is in agreement with God, we obey it as believers, as Christians, as people who follow the scriptures. We obey the government if it falls within the scope of God's word. But if it goes outside the scope of God's word, the example we have in scripture is that you you stand firm against that aspect of the government. And so that's a whole other topic. But I'm saying all this in the grand scope of this idea of judgment calls, of opinions, of people um, exercising authority in an area and then that needing to be obeyed by somebody. And so the whole world is subject in some way or another to authority of some way. Nobody is free from authority anywhere in the world. All of us are required or have the freedom every day to make judgment calls about something or other from the littlest things like your socks to the biggest things like, you know, should our nation go to war, which is what Putin decided to do almost a year ago. He decided that he was going to take his nation into war with the Ukraine. He's accountable before God for that. That's basically what it says right here in Romans 2. Read Romans 2 very slowly and very carefully. And it says, whatever judgment call you make as an individual, individual, you are accountable before God for that judgment call. And if you make righteous judgment calls, then you store up or you build up righteousness if you make um, bad judgment calls, if, if they're judgment calls that are against the scripture, uh, coming out of your own wicked heart, then you store up for yourself wrath from the day of judge for the day of judgment and God is the ultimate judge so he will step in at some point God will step in and every created being from from Michael and Lucifer the archangels all the way down the line to the to the smallest human being ever to have lived will be judged according to God's standard so that is the final say is God himself. And there's an amazing passage in the book of Acts where Paul is interacting with a government official and he makes the government official very nervous because he talks about judgment and about self-control. And, so, and that's an interesting topic. It would be, if, if, you're a, if you're in government, I'd be interested to know what the average politician feels about eternal judgment and self-control. Uh, from what Paul says, the, the guy squirmed a little bit when he was talking about these things just in a casual way. And so I don't know that uh, human governments are really comfortable with the idea of eternal judgment and self-control. 
because those are big subjects and they're uh, a challenge to people who are in authority. So anyway, having said all that, uh, that's preliminary to what will happen in our next session, our next podcast, where we'll be talking about circumcision and the law and how Paul makes us split between this, the law of the, to be circumcised is a law that is to be kept. But Paul talks about keeping the law when uh, even a person who is not circumcised, if a person's not circumcised, they can still keep the law, which sounds like a complete and total contradiction. But the reality is, is that that's exactly what the Bible is saying. And that's what Paul is saying. How does that work? But he had to begin by talking about the condition of the whole human race and narrow it down to the Jews and talk about how you Jews are just as hypocritical as the whole of the Gentile race, the whole of the Gentile people, because it's built within us as humans to have the free will to make the right, to make decisions, to make judgment calls, to have an opinion about something. But we always want our opinion to favor us. Even if we know it doesn't favor somebody else, we don't care. We want it to favor us. And so once we realize that and can get over that and realize that we actually are a detriment to our own self and we're not really loving everybody around us, it prepares us then for a deeper understanding of God's law, which tells us that we are able to uh, have the letter there but there's a spirit of the law behind it that takes a higher precedent. And so we have written law, but then we have a spirit behind the law. Every human is able to make an opinion call, a judgment call on their own. We could call that the letter, but there's a spirit behind that that has to be taken into account. And that spirit will dictate whether or not something is being done in a godly way or not a godly way. And so ponder these things, Read Romans chapter 2 very slowly and very carefully and over and over and over again. It takes a while to really get your head around it, but you must do that in order for the rest of the book of Romans to really start making sense. So I'm going to leave it with you at that. That's your homework. Ponder, think deep, pray, and we'll see you next time. God bless you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you are challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.